Chapter Twenty One of the Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, October two thousand nine. The Copper Princess by Kirk Monroe. Chapter Twenty One Mike Connell to the Rescue. On the very day that the White Pine logging expedition had been so completely disbanded, the tug Bronco had been sent up the coast in a hurry after a supply of timber. She reached Laughing Fish Cove in the evening after Peveril's departure from his camp, and spent the night there awaiting him. Her captain was greatly perplexed by the failure of any of the party to put in an appearance, and the more so when he learned from the fishermen that Peveril had returned alone only to depart again on foot soon afterwards. By morning he dared not wait longer, for his instructions were to start back immediately with such logs as had been collected. He also imagined that, having picked up all the timber they could find, and becoming tired of waiting for him, the wreckers might have set out for Red Jacket on foot. So, taking in tow the raft that he found in the cove, he started down the coast, arriving at his destination that same evening. Mike Connell, who had been anxiously awaiting Peveril's coming, was at the landing to meet his friend, and was much disappointed at his non-appearance. After gaining all the news concerning the missing party that Captain Spillings could give him, he hastened back to Red Jacket, and went at once to the Trefethen cottage with a faint hope that Peveril might be there. The inmates of the little house had also pleasantly anticipated the return of the young man in whom they were so interested, and had made such simple preparations as came within their means for welcoming him. Now their disappointment at Connell's report was mingled with a certain anxiety that increased as they discussed the situation. "'I'm feared lads got into some trouble along of they furriners,' reflected Mark Trefethen, as he puffed thoughtfully at his short pipe. Not but he'll find way out in it, though, for he's finely strong and handy with his fists. Still, there's always the knives and deviltry of they furriners to be reckoned with. They do tell as hits a cruel country up yon, full of thieves and murderers to say naught of smuggling pirates, put in his wife, which, as I was saying to Miss Penny no longer ago than yesterday, when me and her was looking in at company store, the same as Maister Peril should be running this blessed minute if he had its rights. Miss Penny, says I, that poor young man'll never get it in this world. Now he's gone for a sailor, mark my words. Little thinking they'd so soon come true. If I was a man, said Nellie Trefethen, at the same time casting a meaning glance at her sweetheart, I'd not be sitting here wondering how he's to be got out of trouble, especially if he'd done for me what he has for some. "'No more will I,' spoke up Mike Connell, "'for I'm going to find him, which is what I came to say along with telling the news.' "'And I'll go with you,' exclaimed Tom Trefethen, springing to his feet as though for an immediate start. "'No, Tom. Glad as I'd be of your company, it's best I should go alone.' "'seeing as I know that country well, and one man can get along in it when two couldn't. "'Besides, you are needed here, while I'm not.' "'In spite of young Trefethen's protests, the Irishman remained firm in his decision "'to set forth alone in search of his friend. "'And as he left the house, Nellie, 
who, with the others accompanied him to the door, managed to give his hand an approving squeeze. Although Major Arkell gave orders for the tug to return to Laughing Fish in search of the missing loggers the moment her services could be spared, it was not until twenty-four hours after bringing in the raft that it was possible for her to do so. In the meantime, Mike Connell, starting at the break of day and walking briskly northward, reached the cove that still held Peveril's deserted camp that same afternoon. Through an intimacy with several of his countrymen, who were successful peddlers of Ralph Darrell's smuggled goods, Connell had learned much concerning that section of country, and the various operations conducted within its limits. He had at one time seriously contemplated going into the peddling business himself, and had made so many inquiries in regard to its details that he was even familiar with Darrell's folly, though it was a place he had never visited. Knowing it to be a headquarters for smugglers, and believing that, if Peveril had really got himself into trouble, it would be in connection with some of those people, he felt that it was a likely locality in which to search for information. Accordingly, he headed directly for it, only going a short distance out of his way to visit Laughing Fish Cove. Having heard that the fisherfolk were in league with the smugglers, he did not care to betray his presence to them, and so did not show himself in the little settlement, but only skirted it, until certain that his friends were not there. Then he proceeded towards his destination by the same trail that Peveril had followed only two nights before. As he walked slowly along the narrow pathway, trying to invent some plausible excuse for presenting himself before the irascible old man, who, he had heard, excluded all strangers from Darrell's folly, his steps were arrested by the sound of voices approaching from the opposite direction. In another moment he saw three men hurrying towards him, gesticulating wildly and talking loudly in an unknown tongue. As they drew near he recognized in them the three car-pushers recently driven from the White Pine Mine. It also flashed into his mind that these were the men whom he had urged to make a cowardly attack on the young fellow he had then considered an enemy, but for whom he was now searching as for a dear friend. The newcomers also recognized him, and regarding him as of one purpose with themselves in all that concerned Peveril, did not hesitate to advance and speak to him. After an exchange of greetings, Connell broadened the business in hand by asking if they had seen anything in those parts of the chap who had driven them from White Pine. The men glanced at each other hesitatingly for a moment, and then Rothsky answered, "'Yes, my friend, indeed we have seen him, and to our sorrow.' since it is but now that he has driven us from another job, better even than that. How so? inquired Connell, perking up his ears. It is this way. We are working, at good wages, for that old fool over yonder, when that devil of apparel comes and tries to steal our timbers. Then the boss compels us to seize him and put him in his boat, which we tow far out in the lake. Then, as he makes a try to escape, the boss, who is like a man crazy, shoots him with a pistol through the head, and we all see him fall without life in the bottom of his boat. He is so very dead that he does not even move, and so is let go to drift, him and his boat, while we return to shore. "'A fine way of treating trespassers, bedad!' exclaimed Connell. "'But all the same, there is folks who could call it murder.' "'Yes, was it not? "'But wait, all that was three days ago, "'and yet 
but one hour since two of us have seen the ghost of this beast peril standing on the black rocks with the white face of death the wet hair of the drowned and his clothing torn by the teeth of fishes he said not one word but waited for us and would have dragged us to the bottom if we had not fled in time now with such things allowed we can no longer work in this place and so for the second time has he driven us from our good job it's a cruel shame and an outrage on decency nothing less cried connell in pretended indignation at the same time rothsky man i'd like to have been with you for do you know i've never laid eyes on a ghost at all but would like mightily to have the experience would ye mind telling me now where could i find this one just for the pleasure of the sensation no no miss connell don't go near it for you'll be going to your death if you do but if i'm willing to risk it why not so the irishman insisted that they should permit him to share with them the glory of having seen a ghost and finally won from them full directions how to discover the place from which they had fled in terror the sly fellow even made pretense of wishing them to go back with him and when they declined to consider his invitation declared them to be a set of cowards and set forth alone it's my belief he said to himself as he made his way towards the place where they had told him he would find a boat that them divils of dagos have played some dirty trick on mr peril if there had been but two of them i'd found some way of extorting a confession from their lying mouths but odds of three to one is too big to risk so i had to blarney them but maybe i'll be able to help the lad some way and anyhow here's for the tryin it was dusk when connell having found the boat pulled unobserved out of the landlocked basin and by the time he reached the ledge where he had been told he would find peveril's ghost darkness had so closed in that he could not tell whether it was occupied or not until he had left his craft and explored its limited area mr peril he called softly come out if you're hiding for it's only me mike connell come to take you away from this oh bad cess to it he's not here at all and it's a great song and dance them dagos gave me now i'll have to go and beg a night's lodging of the old man and maybe he'll give me a job in place of them as has just left him in that case i'll find out something or me name's not holy smoke where's my boat bad luck to the slippery craft it's gone entirely and here i am left to spend the cruel night alone on a bit of a rock in the sea if i was in jail i'd be better off it was only too true the light skiff carelessly left to its own devices had been caught by a gentle breeze and borne without a sound beyond sight or hearing as the second prisoner claimed by the black ledge that day stood dismally bemoaning his hard fate a light flashed out above him and glancing upward he saw what he took to be a man in the act of hanging two lanterns in a bit of a tree it was a danger signal warning the smugglers to keep away and mary darrell was placing it by order of her father who feared peveril might still be lingering in that vicinity hey lad cried connell noting her slight figure will you help a fellow creature in distress by tossing down the end of a rope are you really still there exclaimed the girl in a tone of dismay and striving to peer down through the darkness i am that but most anxious to get away 
"'And if I do let down the rope, will you promise to depart at once the same way you came?' "'I'll promise anything if you'll only let me up.' "'Well, then, there it is. I know I am doing wrong, but I can't leave you down there all night, for you would be dead by morning.' "'True for ye,' answered Connell, as he began briskly to climb the rope hand over hand. As his face appeared within the circle of lantern-light, the poor girl, who was waiting with trembling anxiety, uttered a cry of terror and fled into the gloom of the cavern. "'Well, if that don't bait me time!' exclaimed the newcomer, as he gained a foothold on the ledge. "'Whatever could the lad be frightened of?' End of chapter 21